Preface to What the Mother of a Deaf Child Ought to Know This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. What the Mother of a Deaf Child Ought to Know by John Dutton Wright To my wife, at whose suggestion this little book was written, in order that mothers may do all in their power for their deaf children. Preface The mother of a little deaf child once wrote as follows, quote, As a mother of a deaf child, and one whose experience has been unusual only in that it has been more fortunate than that of the average mother so situated, I want to place before you, the teachers of the deaf, a plea for the education of the parents of little deaf children. While you are laboring for the education of the deaf, and for their sakes are training teachers to carry on the work, there are, in almost every home that shelters a little deaf child, blunders being made that will retard his development and hinder your work for years to come, blunders that a little timely advice might prevent. We parents are not willfully ignorant, not always stupidly so, but that we are in most cases densely so, there can be no doubt. Can you for the moment put yourselves into our place? Suppose you are just the ordinary American parent, perhaps living far from the center of things. You know in a hazy way that there are deaf and blind and other afflicted people. Perhaps you have seen some of them. Now into your home comes disease or a sudden awakening to the meaning of existing conditions, and you find that your child is deaf. At first your thought is of physicians. They fail you. Advice from friends and advertisements from quacks pour in upon you. Still you find no comfort and no help. You stop talking to the child. What is the use? He cannot hear you. You pity him, oh, infinitely, and your pity takes the form of indulgence. You love him and you long to understand him, but you cannot interpret him and he feels the change, the helplessness in your attitude toward him. You try one thing after another, floundering desperately in your effort to discover what radical step must be taken to meet this emergency. After a time you seize upon the idea that seems to you the best. Probably it is to wait until he is six or seven and then put him into an institution. But while you wait for school age to arrive, you lose that close touch with the soul of your child which may be established only in these early years, for you have no adequate means of communication with him no way to win his confidence. Soon the child has passed this stage, and no school can ever give him what you might and would have given had you known how. You, who are trained teachers of the deaf, can hardly realize the need of advice about matters perfectly obvious to you. But the need exists. May I tell you, from my own experience, a few of the things about which you might advise. You, who know in the first place suggest to parents that they make simple tests of their children's hearing and tell them how and why those who are partially deaf should be helped then tell them to talk and talk and talk to their little deaf ones to say everything and say it naturally and tell them some things in particular that should be said commands and so on and certainly i love you tell them to speak in whole sentences give them an idea of the possibilities of lip-reading tell them that by the expression of the face 
they may convey to the deaf child the interest approval disapproval and so on that they would express to a hearing child in the tone of voice tell them that there is rarely an untrained person who can safely meddle with articulation tell them that it is not true that all deaf children are bad that the deaf must learn obedience as others do tell them the many things which you wish your pupils had learnt before they entered school only this i beg of you tell them lucille m moore End quote. for the sake of presenting the ideas contained in this little book in a somewhat systematic manner it was best to arrange them on the supposition that they would come to the notice of the mothers while their children were yet less than two years of age in many cases however this will not be the case when therefore the child is three four or five years old when this falls into the hands of the mother it would still be well if she carried out the suggestions in the order in which they are here arranged with the maturity of mind and body that comes with the added years the child can pass through the earlier stages of the training much more rapidly than can be the case with a baby nevertheless the preliminary steps should not be omitted a child of four can be carried in six months through the exercises that occupied two years when begun with a child of twelve months but the older child should not be started with exercises suggested for the years after two mothers of deaf children cannot be expected to be trained teachers of the deaf it would be useless and in fact often unfortunate to ask them to attempt to teach articulation to their children even for them to teach the children to write would usually be undesirable because the greatest gain from the mother's efforts comes from the early establishment of the speech-reading habit and entire dependence upon it it is a very great help to have this habit fixed before writing is taught there is no haste about the child's learning to write that is easily and quickly accomplished when the proper time comes the difficult thing to do is very fortunately the thing the mother is best fitted to accomplish namely to create in the child the ability to interpret speech by means of the eye and the habit of expecting to get ideas by watching the face of a speaker with these ideas in mind there has been careful avoidance in this little book of any suggestion that the mother should be anxious about the speech development of the child before five years of age if she has the patience and the time to follow the directions given she will have done her child a very great service the greatest that lies within her power and she will have laid the foundation for a more rapid and better development of speech than would have been possible without her preliminary training not every mother will find it possible to carry out all the suggestions offered in this little book but no one should feel discouraged on that account it seemed best to offer too many suggestions rather than too few because these pages may fall into the hands of some mothers whose situation is such that full advantage could be taken of every idea here given presence of too much matter in the little book will not destroy its usefulness in cases where only a portion can be applied whereas the lack of some of the ideas might limit its value in certain instances no one should give up in despair just because it is not possible to do all that is here suggested something at least can be found here which is possible to do that will help very much sometimes through a false sense of shame or through ignorance of the possibilities open to a deaf child mothers have refused to admit that their children were deaf or to allow anything to be done for them until very valuable time has been lost this is unfair to the child and very wrong 
a mother should have only pity for the deaf child and eagerness to aid him to overcome his handicap so far as possible delay in frankly facing the facts and in taking all possible measures to develop the remaining faculties will in the end only increase the mother's shame and add to it the pangs of remorse in a little book written to guide physicians in advising parents of deaf children i said quote, the situation of a deaf child differs very much from an educational standpoint from that of the little hearing child two hours a day playing educational games in a kindergarten is as much as is usually given or is needful for the little hearing child up to six or seven years of age and his mental development and success in after life will not be seriously endangered if even that is omitted and he does not begin to go to school until he is eight or nine the hearing child of eight who has never been in school and cannot read or write has nevertheless without conscious effort mastered the two most important educational tasks in life he has learned to speak and has acquired the greater part of his working vocabulary in other words although he has never been across the threshold of a school his education is well advanced for his years and mental development the situation of the uninstructed deaf child of eight is very different the task which it has taken the hearing child eight years to accomplish the deaf child of eight has not even begun he cannot speak a word he does not even know that there is such a thing as a word he is eight years behind his hearing brother and even if he starts now unless some means can be found for aiding him to overtake his brother educationally he will be only eight years old in education when he is sixteen years of age and when he is sixteen the psychological period will have passed for acquiring what he should have learned when he was eight the fact that the child is deaf does not exempt him from the inexorable laws of mental psychology and heredity in the development of the human mind there is a certain period when all conditions are favorable for the acquisition of speech and language unnumbered generations of ancestors acquired speech and language at that stage of their mental development and this little deaf descendant's mind obeys the law of inherited tendencies if the speech and language learning period from two years of age to ten is allowed to pass unimproved the task of learning them later is rendered unnecessarily difficult therefore in the case of the little deaf child the years from two to ten are crucial and of far greater importance than the same period in the case of the hearing child. Even though the child be totally deaf from birth, he can nevertheless be taught to speak and to understand when others speak to him. He can be given the same education that he would be capable of mastering if he could hear. The mother need not be despairing nor heartbroken. A prompt, brave, and intelligent facing of the situation will result in making the child one to be proud of and to lean upon. John D. Wright 1. Mount Morris Park, West New York City, February 1915 End of Preface